0: If a love as strong as ours Couldn't make it all the way Can anything make sense at all? If a love so deep and true Couldn't stand the test of time Then Mount Everest could slide And Jerusalem could fall Nothing sacred anymore
1: it's just another word.
2: Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones I'm And I'm Bill Bohr And Bill, today
0: you wanted to talk about what is sacred. Well, I think uh, both of us watched um, General Kelly's press conference. Um, I think, f- first of all, the whole thing is just really tragic and wrong that it came to this kind of discussion. Those of you who do not know what we're talking about, it's the whole controversy around um, President Trump's phone call to the widow of uh, a person who was slain. Were they in Nigeria, right?
2: Yeah, it was in Niger, Yeah. and yeah. and a couple of weeks ago.
0: Right, so part right, of it- a couple of weeks ago, and there was a Congresswoman, Congressman woman Walters from Florida, right? Yeah. She's Florida. Uh was in the car with the widow and she came out outraged about how, uh, the president handled that. Uh, apparently the conversation upset the widow. And then suddenly something that should not be politicized became politicized. And, uh, general Kelly came out and spoke to it. And, um, yeah, I, I think the whole thing from the beginning and, and has been just totally, this is where we've gotten to. And um, yeah, I mean, the tragedy of a young man who's leaving behind a family, a wife, a pregnant wife and uh, two children. Yeah, it's very, very tragic. And now it's become <sighs> something, it's become a shit storm. And that's the only other way I can think of it. And an, an unnecessary one at that. Yeah. So, at any rate, um, so, (laughs) again, General Kelly, who lost his son in Afghanistan, is talking about this. And one of his statements was, you know, he thought this was the – he said everything else sacred has been lost. He made a list of different things. And he said he thought the conversation or, you know, giving condolences to a a grieving Gold Star family would be the last sacred thing, which I'm not sure that's where I want to draw the line for the last sacred thing. But, again, he is – Someone who's speaking of what he knows and what he's experienced, um, and that got me thinking. Okay, well, what what is sacred in our current society?
2: So I just want to say that what happened also was on Monday, um, the when Trump threw this uh, impromptu press conference.
0: And uh, can I just say i want to say before you? Yeah, I think if. If Trump had just been criticized for the words that he said, that that is perhaps it, it's probably unjustified because it's out of context. Uh, when General Kelly said the same words, they don't sound bad. Okay, now he said, right. uh, yeah. Right. Now I will say that when he doubled down and started comparing himself to other, when he started criticizing other presidents and lying about what other presidents did, you know, he is as guilty as the congresswoman from Florida of politicizing something that should not be politicized.
2: Yeah, well, also, I mean, what he said was, so when he threw this impromptu news conference, where it's interesting because what he did at first was threw Mitch McConnell and <laughs> the Senate under the bus and then <laughs> right. took after in front had, of the cabinet. After he had lunch with it. Yeah, and I think the cabinet was there, too. Yeah, the so I don't of. know. So then they went outside and to an impromptu... There was a scheduled press conference with Sarah... Huckabee Sanders. And that was actually um, preempted for Trump being the spokesman in chief. And so he, he thought like that the way to go, he's kind of facing a bad media cycle is to go out and just kind of hit it head on himself. So he was asked the question, why haven't we heard anything from you about the soldiers that were killed in Niger? And what do you have to say about that? That was a question from a reporter. So, I mean, reading, let's read it, question charitably let's just assume that and, and which you know who knows maybe we shouldn't but the reporter wanted to know both why trump had been so quiet and also what happened to the soldiers why they were on patrol um you know what's going on right. because yeah. it, this is part of you know uh uh senator tim kane and the senator from colorado i forget the democratic senator i don't know if they're both democrats but i think the the one that was Recently elected, yeah. Think. They're both Democrats. Yeah. So they were talking this morning about a bill, like, or, or, or Tim Kaine was talking. They were on Morning Joe, I think, talking about healthcare. But Tim Kaine was talking about this problem of all of these activities all over the world are legitimized by something passed in the two thousand one. Yeah, Bush administration around. The war on terror, and so now that's just basically the executive branch just puts troops and of both parties,
0: just right. No, puts, I, I puts think everywhere I was, where they want to you know. I think what Trump, I think what Obama was doing all over the place without authorization from Congress is problematic. This has been going on. Um, well, it's going been going on ever since John <laughs> LBJ, but it certainly has become a norm instead of the exception. Uh, You might even go back to Eisenhower if we want to go that far. But I still, yeah, it's very problematic that we have, again, we have a very broad piece of legislation that was meant for one thing that is being used to justify. I I saw, I I mean, it's amazing how many places we have troops throughout the world right now doing all kinds of different things.
2: Yeah. And so you could assume that maybe this was targeted at kind of like, hey, what do the American people want to know about what should we know? Like, why are we, because, you know, and, you know, it seems like apparently we had special forces guys meeting with tribal leaders trying to sort of deal with real ISIS presence, you know, or, 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 ISIS extensions. Which is only going
0: to get worse now that the caliphate has collapsed. Yeah. Yeah. No. And so, again, I think there's a thing. I mean, again, I don't think the American people need to know something that uh, would jeopardize people's lives uh, in a short-term kind of thing. But if there is a protracted American presence doing something somewhere, uh, Congress certainly should be informed. And if American troops begin to be dying doing something somewhere— and we need to be aware of that as a people.
2: So the question didn't have anything to do with Donald Trump's correspondence with right. Families of the Fallen. Right. So his response to that question, which again, I'll, I'll repeat. Why haven't we heard anything from you about the soldiers that were killed in, in Niger and what you have to say about that? I've written per- them personal letters. They've been sent or they're going out tonight, but they were written during the weekend. I will at some point during the period of time. Call the parents and the families because I have done that traditionally. Because of the gravity of the situation, I'm doing everything to resist res- like reading this and anything other than my own voice. But I felt very, very badly about that. I always feel badly. I thought you're a winner and you always feel goodly, but I always feel bad. <laughs> it's the toughest the toughest calls I have to make are the calls where this happens. Soldiers are killed. It's a very difficult thing. Now it gets to a point where, you know, you make four or five of them in one day. It's a very, very tough day. For me, that's by far the toughest. So the traditional way, if you look at President Obama and other presidents, most of them didn't make calls. A lot of them didn't make calls. I like to call when it's appropriate, when I think I'm able to do it. They've, they made the ultimate sacrifice. So, you know, aids to, both Obama and George W. Bush reacted pretty angrily, saying that both presidents had made lots of uh, yeah. attempts to console the families of, of, of the fallen. And actually, a few moments after Trump said that, Peter Alexander, uh, who is a reporter for NBC, it looks like he could have played linebacker. I mean, the guy a... He's a, he's a good looking guy, broad shoulders, chiseled jaw. I like him as a reporter. He's, just, he's a solid guy. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a very he, good, good manners. He's, he's got the whole package. <laughs> what the, but he says, he says, the, I don't know. He just like, he's a, he looks like an athlete, you know, not all of them do. All right. Uh, so, so yeah. he immediately, so Trump called, I actually watched this. Trump called on Peter Alexander and Peter Alexander asked Trump directly how he could claim that Obama never called families again. Yeah. Obama never – said, I don't know if he did. No, no, no. I was told that he didn't often. So that's just interesting. I don't know if he did – wait, wait, wait. I got a a moment here. No, no, no. I was told that he didn't often. And a lot of presidents don't. They write letters. I do a combination of both. Sometimes (laughs) it's a very difficult thing to do. But I do a combination of both. President Obama, I think, probably did sometimes. And maybe sometimes he didn't. I don't know. (laughs) This is – that's what I was told. All I can do – all I can do is ask my generals. Other presidents did not call. They'd write letters. And some presidents didn't do anything. <laughs> well, that's hard to believe, but, but I like the combination of, I like when I can, the combination James of, K. Pol- of a call and also a letter. James K. Polk never called anything. No, nothing. Anybody. Nothing. No, no. Lincoln
0: jerk. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, the man, first of all, can't help but build himself up by tearing other people down. And of course, that's been his whole life. He's worse now that he's older and probably early stages of dementia. And then the other the other thing is that it's just he defies or defiles everything he touches. I mean, it's just something you shouldn't, no one, no, no one would ever talk that way, should ever talk that way. And so this helps begin what becomes a very unfortunate news cycle item, um, you know, where there's like, very bad things happening in other places, like 300 people killed in Somalia at a terrorist attack that we don't talk about, things like that. So uh, it's just – it's an unfortunate thing, and and again um, – And also, let's just qualify. The next day on Fox News Radio, Trump said, as for
2: other presidents, I don't know. You could ask General Kelly. Did he get a call from Obama? Oh, I see that. Be... I don't know what Obama's policy was. He brought in Trump, – Trump said on Fox News Radio again um, – so then, uh, several journalists reported using unnamed sources that Obama had not called Kelly. Then others reported again with unnamed sources that Kelly sat with First Lady Michelle Obama at a Gold Star breakfast in 2011. Um, still others dug up old comments from Kelly that emphasized how Kelly hadn't wanted his son discussed publicly. Right. So here, so, you know, this is interesting because like you see this creeping kind of news cycle.
0: Yeah. And, and, and while, you know, Healthcare is being treated like a hot potato again uh, and the president is both supported and uh disagreed with the same bill in a twenty four uh, hour cycle hour um, cycle uh Puerto Rico uh still the majority of the island does not have power um so there's a lot of stuff going on out there and instead we're uh rather than grieving and honoring the sacrifice of four young men, we are doing this instead well let's not dis disparage the podcast <laughs> I mean, like, you know, we're doing well I'm, I'm, well so again you know a couple things uh, um I think it's problematic in some levels to talk about a conversation about the death a tragic death a sacrificial death as as being something that's sacred I think to me that's a sloppy use of the word sacred I think it's something that is um it's an honor to do it, it and I, well let me go back on that I mean I do for instance being around people in times of grieving does have a sense of you're sharing a sacred space. So I, I let me say that there's this kind of sacredness about that in terms of just honoring life and being in the presence and talking to people who've just had the worst possible thing that could happen to them in their life happen. I, I think, you know, to me, the fact, again, that there's only a small segment of our population having to deal with these issues, um, even the way Kelly talked about, uh, you know, I think when he went to call on press and said he'd only call on people who knew a gold star family, I actually think that was inappropriate. Um, I think when he said, "You know, those of you who haven't served, we look, we feel sorry for those of you who haven't served because we have served," I think that also speaks to the problem of the volunteer army that we have right now. I think a lot of these war issues, we've become, you know. At some levels, all right, people died, you know, somewhere in Africa where most people couldn't even point out on a map. And we go on and, and you know, worry about football players kneeling or not. Um, but that's part of the problem here where we have created a almost special warrior class that is oh, that is not taken from a cross section of our country. And so the majority of us, the vast majority of us, look at this thing as something totally alien. Um and I, I think there's just all kinds of wrong dynamics. It's just one other way we don't share we don't share any kind of common experience in our, our country. And so by making it sacred and emphasizing this kind of sanctity of it gets back to the you know, the new Trinity, uh service people first responders, you know, it's, it's this kind of way we've created this post nine uh, eleven 11 way of talking about things. It just feels to me that there's something inherently um, disconnecting about it. Uh, and that on one level, the call to be heroic is a call for everyone. You know, we're all to live heroic lives. We're all to live lives of sacrifice and service. And I certainly honor those who are, you know, who who sacrifice so much to be in the military. But I think there's something about our national character where that's been regulated to a very small segment that's not a cross-section of our country. I think that's problematic. Yeah,
2: I mean, I think, would you institute a yes. draft?
0: I would institute some kind of draft or you could have an alternative. Either you, if you don't do military, you do um, some sort of public service.
2: What about the DMV, but you make minimum wage with no benefit? no. no.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's pretty bad. No, I think also if you're college, you go, you do college, then you could do, go do teach, or you know, you could be involved in civilian conservation corps or doing working on infrastructure or something like that. Um, and again, I think people who end up in combat situations—I mean, there should be the risk and reward should be there should be greater giving to that. But I think there should be mandatory service for everybody. Uh, and I think uh, it would be it would it would change the whole way we talked we thought about military. We'd think about conflict. Uh, you know, again, Israel a, is a. It's it's hard to do. It's apples and oranges. But every soldier who dies in Israel is a personal thing. And part of that is the nature of where they are, the fact that, you know, they're always living under existential threat. But part of it is everybody serves. You know, I mean, again, there's a few exceptions, but people – there's a common experience that brings people together. And uh, I think there's something – there's nothing. There's nothing bringing us together as a country. We can't even enjoy football anymore (laughs) without it. That's That's become politicized.
2: I mean it's interesting because no like no military professionals that I hear want conscription like they actually think for the purpose of military professionalism that a volunteer arm uh, military is 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 preferable that, yeah
0: well i mean you would always i mean you, again obviously your' spe- you would always have your special forces your leads your certain kind of thing but i don't think i don't think it's good for the country uh that it's this way i mean you'd always have your hire trained you'd have your professional soldier and you'd have your two year service people. But there's a lot of things that are being done in, in the military and that could be done by people who are there for a couple of years and, and move on.
2: I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning afternoon, or evening routine or while you're exercising or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it? Being a Patreon sponsor is really just you being a patron of an art form you enjoy and are passionate about. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David and Winona Babico, Michael Butera, Peter Stegenwald, Samantha Blythe, Sari Graham, Jordan and Danny Morseberger, Josh Redder, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Jonathan Butrin, Ben DeHart, Stephen Rowe, and Charlotte Donlan. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show.
0: So what should be sacred? Well, from a societal perspective or from a faith perspective? Well, I, I'm not—I'm just asking an open-ended question. Yeah, yeah. I think, it's a, I think as, as Christians, this is actually a good thing for us to think about. Um, and, you know, we have the Reformation coming up, and so the Reformation talked about sacred things in in different ways. You know, know, I think there's a natural tendency, and this certainly was the uh, the case in Christianity as it evolved, that there were sacred people, there were sacred times, there were sacred spaces. You might say that the only thing that came out of the Reformation sacred was the sacred people, people set apart by God in this world, because there's a sense where um, the idea of sacred space in place and time is something that the reformers said no to. I think there's a lot of sacred cows <laughs> the, the We brought them back in. Now, you could say Luther had a more moderating position, but certainly the Magisterial Reformation, the Anabaptist Reformation, uh, was, that was part of what they said no to. So, is is there something other than the people of God, or all humanity is created in the image of God? I mean, I think we have to begin there. In other words, so what's sacred beyond humans? At least that's what, that's where I would start.
2: Well, I mean, if the sacred is the eternal, it seems like the twinkie <laughs> will be more <laughs> sacred for the other. No, I mean, I mean, uh, Eliot's book, "The Sacred and the Profane," it came out. I think the fifties, but and it's deeply influenced by Otto's book. The idea, of the Home. And there are so many problems with Eliotta, but, but it's still seminal important. And right. I, I mean, I think like you could pick the book apart, but it's one of these big books with important ideas that, you know, specialists can pick apart, but it's still worth thinking about. And, and his central claim is that, that the non-religious man, the secular man, mm-hmm. the secular human, basically experiences the world as a homogenous place and the sort of pre-modern non-religious human, you know, and again, there are exceptions in cultures. There are people that don't care about things. But the cultural drift is to see the world as non-homogenous and that there are sacred centers. Mm-hmm. And uh, even he looks far back, you know, ancient. Look, why is there opening in things like teepees? And, you know, why, why are temples have these openings to the sky? Well, a teepee, it gets really smoky. Exactly. Well, that's one of those parts. <laughs> wreaths, but, you know, but he thinks about all these things. And the axis, he has this term called the axis mundi that, you know, you think of this pole. Right. Or you think of like Jacob's ladder. Sure. And these, these, you know, sort of this axis on which the world turns. Even you have-
0: sophisticated systems like deoplatonism yeah yeah a, exactly you, you, yeah. he
2: thinks you can't get and, and he also he thinks that the, something about looking up transcendence is is, is significant. He, it's funny, he talks about, like, you look at Israel, when they go to more primal gods, it's during peace and prosperity. In crisis, oh, go back to the sky, God. What did we do wrong? But then when <laughs> they settle down, you go more to the, the home and hearth kind of god. Sure, sure. But
0: you've got to that, that, uh, bring in that, that uh, crop. Yeah, for I mean, example. We, we need rain. We certainly didn't. But you know, part
2: of the sort of demystification of the world, you know, living in a disenchanted world, is that you, the world looks. Homogeneous, and then you have to sort of sell people on sacredness you have to i mean nietzsche says the sacred is something that we we all agree you can't laugh at and so i would say like one of the few sacred things was like 9 11 like yeah. I, I don't know if that's true anymore i think it's still probably no, i think it's still, I think I, still echoes of truth to it but but so that's part of the problem right that people have to get up in the morning and we often still want sacredness and transcendence you know the, the sort of transcendent mythical ideas are recreated in in films that you know stories novels that are a religion it's interesting because you know um hegel calls the novel sort of the bourgeois epic poem right and then things like you know serial dramas and films become like the the sort of next sort of bourgeois sort of substitute for the epic kind of text that orients us yeah to
0: life. i mean uh, game of thrones attendance is not down yeah, exactly. Because
2: exactly. <laughs> they don't kneel for the flag. They, they, they would bend the knee though to the flag. Jon Snow would bend the knee. He's a good American. Oh wait,
0: he's <laughs> no, British. You don't, you don't want to be up. Yeah, yeah. He's British. Wait, he's a good yeah. British American. He's British. Yeah, you know one of the things that's interesting as you were thinking about that. What percentage of people living in urban and suburban? world and percentage of the world that would be the majority of the people how, how often do people go through days without ever seeing the sky and if you live in, or, and if you live in an urban area or you live in a suburban area where there's a lot of night light you don't ever yeah see yeah even if you see the
2: sky you don't see the stars yeah so there's a sense where it's interesting If you're in north korea you don't see anything <laughs> You said, yeah. You're and right. you're probably happy. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think that part, you know, it's interesting because in a book that I think is incredibly important called All Things Shining, a book by Dreyfus and Kelly that I, I, um, I love that book, but they, they try to get the handle on this about the whole problem of the sacred because they, they talk about this guy who a couple of years ago, um, it's like a blue collar guy that like jumped over. Um, he's with, you know, he, he a family guy, wife and kids, and he, working class guy in New York and jumped, saw a disabled person fall off the edge of the subway in New York and jumped on top of the person and pushed them down while the subway was coming and they both survived. Right. Knew- yeah, I remember this. Yeah. And then, you know, everybody asked him, of course, well, why did you do it? And he says, like, I just did what anybody would do, which no none of us would do that like it oh, yeah. just something no one would do and the, the, the question of like how do you make the sort of decisive heroic action when right. and you know part of the thing that they said is like all of us feel not just in big choices but in little ones like we have a zillion, zillion choices in front of us all of the time, and they feel almost like vampiric—like they suck the, the, the life out of you sometimes. Right. And they say, you know, there seems to be two ways of avoiding the pain of this, or the the, the not knowing how to deal yeah. with like the part of choices and, and and the elusive nature of the taker. One is the confident man, and and they said parentheses—and they're usually men. <laughs> <laughs> and not that this, you know, we can think of anybody like this in our culture, but that every decision they make is right and they just know and they <laughs> did it. And then they this, you know, the, the alternative, which is equally evasive, is obsession, infatuation, addiction, tribalism, where you kind of like you you sort of evade the existential problem by sort of tunneling in on something that's insignificant but gives fleeting significance.
0: Yeah, like I heard um uh, like a whole discussion the other day at a party about a new exciting Role play fantasy game you do on a tabletop.
2: What game was it? I don't know. <laughs> I would play that.
0: <laughs> I walked away. So
2: what? Ta- what board games do you still play? I play a few.
0: Um, Scrabble, sho- shoots play. and ladders with my grandkids.
2: I still play Scrabble.
0: I always lose at Scrabble. I can't spell.
2: I like Scrabble a lot. My wife usually
0: beats me, but and you could
2: even it's interesting because they quote um, T.S. Eliot's first um, poem, J. Alfred Prufrock. Um, it's great. Uh, section of the poem: "Time for you and time for me." and time yet for a hundred indecisions, and for a hundred visions and revisions before the taking of a toast and tea. So <laughs> just think about, like, even to sip for a toast and tea, what am I going to wear? What am I going to talk Yeah, about? sure. What's important? I mean, I'm with a friend, and I'm friends somebody that's a co-religious, co religious mm-hmm. Is it for this reason or that reason? Like, it's so often the challenge of figuring out what is sacred. It, 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 well, again, for in, in pre-modern society, at least for most of the West, that's not... An incredibly difficult existential question, the way it is for the, the way that's inherited right. for you in the in the late modern West, like that's just what you deal with. And yeah. so, and and you know, and I found I, I, the two times I've seen General Kelly in in news conferences, I was very impressed. I mean, it's just yes. a, he's an impressive guy. Uh,
0: I pray that he stays.
2: Yeah, but I I, I think that he-
0: no, I literally pray.
2: That he stays. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. If anybody, it's just weird times, you know. But yeah, and the guy's done a lot of service. Maybe he should just go sit on a beach somewhere. Yeah, maybe he <laughs> certainly else. earned that. Yeah. yeah, but but I think that that I mean, the and, and actually, it did come out that he said that he did tell the president that uh, the president was asking him advice if he should make calls. And he said, personally, I wouldn't, because I think there's nothing you're going to be able to do. And it's the hardest call. And the ones they're going to care about are the ones from their buddies. Like, but those are the ones that meant Yeah, somebody. absolutely. He, and and uh, he said, you know, I wouldn't make that. And, and he said the president asked me, did you get a call? He said, no, President Obama did not call um, us. And. He he was my commander, but but he did write letters. He, yeah. you know, they do, were hosted for a breakfast, but um. So anyway, the, uh, the, well, this I, is I, an I, instance where the 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 sort of yeah reporting created a narrative that was not false
0: at all, but it was incomplete and yeah, and and I you know I would I'm sympathetic about that not calling because you and I make our you know part of what we do make our living our call is to talk to people in times of death. And I've done it – I've lost count how many times I've done it in the most heinous of situations, the most – I mean, in every death, it has some kind of tragedy to it. But untimely deaths, suicides, murders, accidents, killing young people. And you don't know what to say. Yeah, there is nothing There's nothing. There's nothing you can say. I think the thing that has consistently been my experience, the fact that you cared enough to show up or the fact that you cared enough to know. And that, the, you know, the fact is that you, that this person was just not another statistic or this, you're not just doing this because it's your job, but that you actually had some sort of empathy and their life and their death mattered. However you can convey that is is a sacred act, I would say, Uh Because I think um, I told my students this past week in church history, once you get past 330, when Augustine dies, from about 330 to 1600, if you have a question, when in doubt, say Augustine. And about 25% of the time, you're going to be right, whether it's who influenced this, where does this come from? And Augustine, in a book that really shaped pedagogy in the Middle Ages on the Christian doctrine says there are two kinds of things. There are things to be used and things to be enjoyed. And he says, ultimately, the only thing that is to truly be enjoyed is God. All right? So on one level, anything to do with the divine would be the sacred thing that we're to enjoy. It's funny. The sacred things are to be delighted in. Everything else is to be something that we see as a contingency that doesn't have ultimate worth. Now, it's more sophisticated than that. Things around human beings has a divine thing before it, because if they're a Christian, then the image of Christ is in them. If they, even if you're just a human, the image of God is in them. So you can go and talk about people are to be treated uh, with the same, as C.S. Lewis said, people should be treated as potential immortals with that kind of respect. But I think there's that might be one way to start talking about, in other words, uh, is this something that is to be delighted in, that has an extension of the divine? Or is this a contingency, which is a gift, a good gift, that should be appreciated, but in and of itself, it's not sacred.
2: Yeah, I mean, Eliana talks about how, like, basically, cosmology gives way to cosmogony. So, like, yeah. the creative act, like how things work. So, then you, cosmogony is what recreates the creative act. So, you see yourself as extending the center of the universe, the sacred center. And so, you know, when you do these recreative acts, which are generally connected somehow to life cycles and things like that, but you, you infuse them with, the sacred, and you see yourself as extending, uh, you know, radiating out the 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 axis that sacred thing at the center of the world. So, and then he thinks usually there's some kind of originator, some sacred person, or something that that, that revealed the cosmology. So, like, if this, if the Christian cosmology, if the if the act that is, you know, the gospelers take all this time trying to paint, for instance, the baptism of Jesus as as, as the new creation. You know, they, they use language you know like. There's water, there's the spirit yeah. hovering over. there's God speaking, so if the ultimate climax of the Christ event is profane, I mean Jesus is driven out of the sacred place and crucified outside the camp, and that's where the axis starts that and 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 the going down through death to the other side, maybe the, the sense is like there the it's the sacralizing like maybe there are no god forsaken
0: places, maybe in some well, I, ways I think there yeah, I think the I've,
2: universe radiates the sacred incognito most of the time.
0: Yeah. I mean Bonhoeffer in his ethics says because of the incarnation, all of the created order is changed because the the divine essence has embraced it in a molecular way. Now that's my that's my paraphrase that last molecular, but that's the implication. You know, I, I, I think you're right in on one level and the you know it's interesting they don't the the Israelis or Israelites didn't even remember where Mount Sinai was. I couldn't remember if it was Horab or Sinai, which means in the tradition, it wasn't that important where it was. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, you know, you took off your shoes when God was there, the presence of God, but when the presence left, you put your shoes back on. But what you're saying is because God not only has created and fills the cosmos, but in some way has taken the creaturely world into himself in the incarnation, and if you would, hell itself, or at least the hellish places, then maybe that does open up the door to talking about the sacred in lots of different ways. Or at least we hope so. Yeah, But uh, for those of you who happen to hear this, who have lost loved ones serving um, the country, there's no words. Um, um, God be with us at the time of our deaths.
1: Amen to that. As I wonder On life's pathway I know not what the future holds